Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. I want to start with Tom Brady because it started before Brady and the Bucks lost on Sunday. And when I say it, I mean this whole notion that it might be TB44's last season, that he suddenly might be thinking about retirement. The guy who's been saying for years that he would play until he's 45 suddenly, reportedly, allegedly, might be looking to pull the ripcord at 44. Kind of weird, right? Because the guy has been locked in on that number 45 for years. And then a few days before Sunday's game, suddenly there are all these sources looking to tell anybody who's willing to listen that TB44 was thinking about retirement, that he was, quote, noncommittal, that he might not make it to TB45, that he might not play beyond this season, that he was going to think about this. I mean, clearly somebody was pretty eager to get that story out ahead of the game itself, right? Because it started before the game itself. And then even after the game and the loss, Brady himself kept it going. I haven't put a lot of thought into it, so you know, we'll just take it day by day and see, kind of see where we're at. All right, so he's giving it some thought. And then he continued on his podcast yesterday. He was saying things also like this. Well, I think the point is there's no rush for me to uh, to figure out what's next. You know, I'll know when I know. And um, it's to, it's a day after the season. So and I think for all of us, you know, we can all decompress a bit. It's been six straight months of football every day consumed by day in and day out football. And I think now it's just some time to spend some time with my family and spend some time with, you know, my kids. May those statements on his podcast. Let's go! Let's go! Let's go! Hey, listen, I agree. There is no rush for him to figure out if he's going to play next year. However, it sure seems like there is a rush to get everybody to talk about whether or not he's going to play next year. And then he started to talk about his wife and his kids and his family and their role in the decision-making. My wife is my biggest supporter you know, it pains her to see me get hit out there. And, um, you know, she deserves what she needs from me as a husband. And my kids deserve what they need from me as a dad. And, um, you know, I'm going to spend some time with them and give them what they need because they've really been giving me what I need the last six months to do what I love to do. And, you know, I said this a few years ago, it's, you know, it's, a, it's what relationships are all about. It's not always what I want. It's what we want as a family. And, uh, you know, I'm going to spend a lot of time with them and, and then, uh, you know, figure out in the future what's what's next. Again, he made those comments on his podcast. Let's go! Let's go! Let's go! Listen, let me preface this by saying I get that. That makes a lot of sense. Enormous amount of sense to me. Who would want to see their loved one get the hell beat out of him by the likes of Aaron Donald? Von Miller and company on a regular basis. Nobody. That's got to be really tough for the family. That's got to be really tough for family members of any quarterback. I get that. But why don't we slow down for a minute because this is not new. We don't need to hear that explanation for him and say, oh, crap. He's serious. He means this. He's definitely, possibly, potentially, probably not walking away this time. Because it's not like that's the first time we've heard this rap from Brady. In fact, it's like the 20th time. He's been saying this for years. Tom Brady claiming that his wife wants him to retire is nothing new. It feels like that line is about as old as Brady himself. Groundhog Day, yo. And that gopher just popped its little dome up once again like it does every year, roughly halfway through the winter, and then it goes away every single time. He comes back to play, and then everybody's kind of left with this weird thing of, is he just ignoring his wife by continuing to play? Because he keeps bringing it up. He keeps saying she doesn't want him to play. So what's it all about? Because he always seems to suggest that it's about what she thinks and about what she wants, only to reach for the helmet yet again. 
And listen, I do get it. It is a long NFL season. It is an absolute grind. I would completely understand why you'd want to take some time and relax and unwind and spend time with the fam before you jump right back into this thing. And there will come a time when this dude actually does walk away. He's not going to play forever. But why are people freaking out and treating this like it's any different than any of his previous deke jobs? This is a guy who has said he does not want a farewell tour and repeated that again yesterday. I think that would be distracting for me. You know, I'm really a ultimate, you know, my, my enjoyment comes from not a recognition of kind of what I've accomplished as a player in the league. My enjoyment comes from the competition. So more so than anything, even yesterday, I was thinking about competing. I was thinking about, you know, this whole year about competing. I wasn't thinking about anything other than that. So when the time comes to think about post-career and second career, I'll think about those things. Once again, comments made on his podcast, let's go! Let's go! Let's go! Like, like for a guy who doesn't want a retirement tour because he's all about competing, he seems to be pretty good at staging a mini tour at the end of the season and getting people to talk about his potential retirement, right? Given that's something he doesn't want any part of, it seems like it comes up more and more. And this is where things do get weird. When you're 44, I guess you get asked about that a lot. And, you know, a lot of people thought I was done playing football in 2015. You know, a lot of people in 2016 said you're done. A lot of people in 2018, after I lost the, when I left the Patriots, they said you're done. Once again, he made those comments on his podcast. Let's go! Let's go! Let's go! I mean, wait a minute. Hold up with that. Hold up with that. The hell are you talking about? Are you saying that people thought and said you were done in 2015? In 2015, you mean the year you threw for nearly 5,000 yards and led the league in touchdowns and touchdowns to interception ratio? Who was saying that you were done in 2015 when your peers ranked you number three in the NFL Top 100? Or are you trying to claim that it was before the 2015 season? Because I guarantee you that's not the case either. Not when you had just been named Super Bowl MVP. And then 2016, when you were actually even better Then you had been the year before. That was the year you were number two in that ranking. And you were the Super Bowl MVP that season too. And then in 2017, you were number one in the top 100. And then the same in 2018. So who were these people who were saying that you were done back then? And who was saying that you were done when you left the Patriots? Exactly which people are we referring to? Which people said that? Because I'm pretty sure the moment you arrived in Tampa, the Bucks suddenly not only mattered again, but, but became a Super Bowl favorite. See, this is where this whole thing gets a little bit weird because there are details that simply do not line up with reality. Like when he got on that role, I kept waiting for him to say that people were telling him he was done this year. When he led the league in passing yardage and TDs and would be the league MVP if not for Aaron Rodgers. I mean, this dude is so desperate to prove people wrong that he's now making up people and takes to disprove. Yes, playing until you're 44 is pretty wild. And it does change the way a lot of people view aging. And it totally does reset the paradigm. Fact. So in the grand scheme of things, you have proven people wrong by continuing to play at this level at this age. But nobody anywhere is saying you're done. On a year-in, year-out basis, nobody is saying you're done, especially not when you're putting up the numbers you're putting up. If anything, most people are falling all over themselves every single year saying how unbelievable you are and asking, how the hell is this guy doing it? This is absolutely incredible. So what are you talking about when you said, yeah, well, everybody said I was done in 15 and 16 and 17? I mean, yes, generally, when you reach your mid-40s, people are going to wonder about retirement. But nobody's made a bigger deal out of Tom Brady's possible retirement than Tom Brady himself. So for some reason, this guy loves having this be a story. He says things like, oh, I don't want to be a story. I don't want to be about me, but then makes it all about him. Like, when did this guy turn into Brett Favre? Is he about to throw on a camo hat and start talking about how much he wants to be out on his tractor, just driving around in Mississippi, being at one with the land and turning some dirt over? 
Are we going to have to get Jared and Longy onto a private plane to go pick him up? Let's go. Percy, I do this. Brett Favre goes back to pass. He pumps. Hey, y'all, watch this. Now he fires. <laughs> Can't believe what I'm seeing right now. We got two more. Yeah. Let's go. Come on, Jared. Hey, listen, bottom line, do what you want, your life, your legacy. But I got a pretty good idea where this is all coming from. You know, you're sitting up here like, man, people are trying to write me off. You know, I don't know. I'm just going to sit back with my family and think about this. Yeah, so where is all this coming from? Because it was all coming out before that game. I don't know where it's all coming from, but I got a pretty good idea. I don't know where it's all coming from. And I don't know if he wanted that story out there before the Rams game to give himself and his teammates even more motivation. Or if he really is thinking about retirement Or maybe he just really likes it when people talk about him. But the guys talked about playing until he's 45 since he was like 15. And he just had one of the best years of his career. I will believe this dude is retired when a full season of games are played and he's not a part of it. And not a second before then. I guess what I'm saying, GOAT, is let's follow up that potential MVP season with an MIA offseason. Let me be clear. I don't want this guy to retire. I'm not advocating for that. I'm not one of those losers clowning him after the Rams game. However, this whole man in the arena sounds more like old man in the senior home, if you listen to him. (laughs) I just want this guy to retire from this should I retire or not retire routine. Because it's become positively Farvian. Come on, man. And now a message from Discover About Rewards. If you're a loyal credit card customer, you should be rewarded for your loyalty, preferably with something that's useful, like cashback match, for instance. Discover matches all the cashback that you have earned at the end of your first year. Finally, rewards that make sense. Discover. Exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations do apply. My man's been known to toss back a bush light or two. Friend of the program, he is Dan Wetzel. What's going on, Dan? How are you? Bush lighter three. My man, that's what I'm saying. I, I didn't want to say that, but time, okay. Man. That works. Dead How you feeling? Winter, you got to do it, man. Got to do it. How you doing? How's life? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm excellent. I'm glad you cleared out the uh, the troubles before my, my thing there. Yeah, I tried. That everyone's state. I, I tried, but it only encourages them, so you can only do what you can do. <laughs> Hey, listen, I don't know about you, but I'm still coming to terms with that weekend of football, and there are a number of things I want to talk to you about, but why don't we start with Matthew Stafford? Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers are getting a lot of attention right now, but what did you make of the way Stafford delivered in the final minute on Sunday? I mean, well, it was, it was, it was brilliant, right? I mean, there, you, 45 seconds to go, and you, you take him downfield. Uh, other, other than Patrick Mahomes, it's impressive, um, but it, it – it's what Stafford's been waiting to show and what he's been hoping for his whole career. He spent a dozen years in Detroit. He led 39 fourth-quarter comebacks. The amazing thing is they only won like 78 games there. So almost half his games were fourth-quarter comebacks. Um, but, you know, they weren't in the playoffs. They weren't big games. They never won a division. And he's a guy everyone knew had a ton of talent and put up big numbers. But the question was, can he do it? in a big game? Is he just a guy who does really, really well on a team with no expectations? It's one thing to lead a comeback when you're on a 6-10 team. It's another to do it on the road against the defending champs and, uh, and, and Tom Brady over there. And, and he, he made the play, made the right call, made the right uh, understanding of the mistakes that Tampa was in and, and made the right decision to go to basically his fourth option, which is Cooper Cup deep. And he threw a perfect pass to him and hit him and, and, and got everyone down there and spiked it and won the game. This is what Stafford always believed he could do, and this is what the Rams believed he could do when they when they traded for him. So I thought it was a huge legacy moment for, for Matthew Stafford. We're talking to Dan Wetzel. So what about that, Dan? Those questions that you had pointed out and posed that have existed for so long about him, did he, in fact, then answer all of those questions? And now has he... Do we see him now in a different light? Is he there, or does he still have more work to do? 
I mean, he probably has more work to do, but he certainly, I, I don't think he's just going to get written off as a guy. Well, you never want a playoff game. Um, not, he didn't just, he didn't just quarterback a team that won a playoff game. He won them the playoff game, which is what you want out of a quarterback. And they very easily could have just faded, gone to overtime. You don't know that coin flip goes whatever way. You don't want Tom Brady with that ball and you lose. Um, it wasn't him who had four fumbles. I, I guess the snap was technically blamed on him, but that, that, that errant snap, I don't think really was his fault. Um, so, you know, does he answer and you sit there and go, oh, this is a Hall of Famer or this is one of the elite guys? No, but he eliminated the doubt that he can do it. Uh, obviously, Sunday and, and this, the rest of this season, if it goes two games for, for the Rams, are, are instrumental on that. But I do think people should have a different view of him. Um, he was a really good quarterback in Detroit. He did a really good job in sometimes bad positions. Could he have done better at times? Absolutely. Should they have won a playoff game or won a division at some point in that run? Probably. But the swing of he's good enough or he's just a stat guy, that never really was accurate. That was a great play by him on Sunday. We're talking to Dan Wetzel. So, Dan, bottom line, like the Rams took an enormous swing when they brought him in. They got Vaughn Miller. They got Jalen Ramsey. If the Rams don't win on Sunday, you referenced the next two games. If they don't win on Sunday – and they don't win a Super Bowl, was the trade for Stafford still a success? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would think so. Um, it, it, you know, it, it, they, they have a belief that late first-round draft picks are, don't have the same value that, that other people put on them. And when you, you're going to have the records that if you do what you're expected with the Rams right now, you're picking 28 or, or later. Uh, or 20, they're going to pick 29, 30, 31, or 32. So that pick they, that they're, they're giving now to Detroit has much, you know, it loses value. And they just don't see that as this huge thing. So um, I think it's still a successful trade for them because I don't know that Jared Goff would have won them that game on Saturday. And if that's the case, then what are you, what are you trying to do here? I like the Rams mentality. I think as a fan, you would like the Rams mentality of saying, let's try to win. We've got Aaron Donald here. Let's build around him. We've got a good quarterback. We got Cooper Cup and Aaron Donald. Let's make this get the best quarterback we can get, and then let's get some help for for Aaron Donald, make him even better. They've got a loaded team. Let's try to win. I like that mentality rather than sitting there saying having a GM who's so worried that they're holding on to the thirty thirtieth pick in the draft. Um, Two thirty picks for uh, Jared Goff and a third for for Matthew Stafford is is going to be a good deal for them. Hey, listen, for the record, I could not respect it or love it any more than I do. I love that mentality. I love it. Not everybody wants to win. It costs money to win. People are afraid to win. I I absolutely love that mentality. So let me ask you about this. I'll I'll say this, Ron. One thing that fans miss a lot with GMs is being a general manager in any sport, you, you take a long time in your career. You start as like a, a scout or, a, or, or you know, the co- cream and sugar for the coffee guy, right? You don't make a lot of money. And when you get to the GM, you start making money. And there is a lot of general managers in all, all over sports that sit there and say, how do I get another contract? How do I keep this job for seven, eight years? Not how do I win? Fans automatically think the number one and only motivation of every person in a front office is how do I win a title? Because that's the motivation of fans. That isn't always the motivation. It never gets said, but you can see it in how people just sort of tread water and hope they're the GM for 11 years and they, and they walk off with a ton of money. Dude, that's part of why you are who you are. I love that point. I love that take. It's, it's funny, right? Like, you always hear about players trying to find a way to play for it's not that first contract. It's your second contract. We're talking about GMs trying to GM for their second contract, mm-hmm. not their first contract. I think that's a great point that you make. So the Rams win that game, and then in the aftermath, there is all of a sudden, and it wasn't even the aftermath, Dan. It started before the game, this notion and the speculation that maybe Tom Brady has played his final game. When you look at his production this season and his durability over the years was there any part of you that was thinking that that might be it not really only because uh, the only two things that you know you you point to is one he's 44 so every time is, it's a fair question the other is does he think he can win the Super Bowl next year in Tampa uh that's the only motivation for Tom Brady he, he's he's not playing for money or, or fame or anything else or staff um and so then you sit there and say, okay, well, what if it's not in Tampa? You know, 
What if it's in San Francisco? What if it's somewhere else? Who knows? What, what, who knows what Tom Brady's going to do? He can do anything he wants. It's Tom Brady. Um, but there's nothing in his game that makes you say he's not, he's not doing it. The durability. Has it missed a game um, since 2009 due to injury? He had the four games, the Flategate suspension in 2016. And even with that, he has the longest active start streak of any quarterback in the NFL. Uh, you know, it's absurd. He's 44. He's got the Iron Man streak going right now. Um, and he hasn't missed one in, since 09 for injury. He, he, he had a very good – you look at pro football focus, which I really like, as, you know, a lot of the advanced stats, top three in all sorts of them. So he's top three MVP. I think he can come back, no question. I think he will. You know, he always at the end – there's been a lot of attention in the last 24 hours. He said, oh, I'm going to talk about my family. He kind of says that stuff every year. So right. I think he'll probably be back. But at 44, you just don't know. But he said he wanted to play for 45, and all he's got to do now is show up at training camp. He's going to be 45. So, Danny, if the ring is the thing, and you wrote about this, like if Chris Godwin's healthy, then Tampa Bay's got weapons. But as you write, Gronk is getting older. Tampa Bay brought back everybody from last year for this year. So it would only be tougher to do next year. If the ring is the thing, do you think Tampa Bay affords him the best opportunity, or might he find it someplace else? Well, I mean, that's, I think that's something he will look at. Um, he may not say that out loud, but I think that's something he would look at. Put it this way, what if, what if the Niners want to move on from, from Garoppolo? And I, this is a complete, it's, you know, I'm just making this up, okay? This is a complete speculation. But, you know, they're, they're not sold on Garoppolo. They're going to go with Trey Lance at some point. What if it's like, hey, Tom, one year, come home. Back to your hometown. You grew up a 49er fan. You're the quarterback next year. This team is loaded. We get one more year, Trey Lance. And you know what, Trey? You're going to learn under Tom Brady for you. Not, not a bad situation if all that happens. And I don't know if all that stuff would happen. But you could see a scenario where you go, yeah, that makes a lot of sense right there. So he's Tom Brady. He's plug and play. He brings a culture. He may bring Gronk with him. He may bring other guys with him. You don't know. Um very, very attractive, needless to say, free agent if you want to win next year. I wouldn't sit there and I wouldn't give him much more than one more year, but that might be something that would make him pretty interested. I don't think that's so far-fetched. That makes sense. Dan Wessel joining me for another moment or so. One more thing. You had a piece on the Buffalo-Kansas City game in the final 13 seconds. I mean, you understand what that part of the country is like. You understand what that team means to those fans. You understand what those fans have been through. What kind of a scar, what kind of scar tissue are those 13 seconds going to leave the Bills players and the Bills Mafia? Yeah, Bills Mafia, I mean, look, that's as painful of a loss as I've ever seen. Bills Bills fans are conditioned to know that hope is a dangerous thing. (laughs) So you never hope. You never assume We've got this game won. We're going to win. We're going to host the AFC Championship game. We're going to win the Super Bowl because I think we got the best player on the planet, Josh Allen. And if this team could beat Kansas City, we could beat all these other guys, right? It is a dangerous thing for a Bills fan. So they know. They teach their children. Do never believe. But when you are leading by, thir- by, with, by three points with 13 seconds left, how do you not believe? You relax. You, you make the mistake and you go, we're going to win. You check for stub up for tickets. You, you, you start thinking about how uh, we can beat Cincinnati and we can beat, we can beat this NFC stuff. We're going to win the Super Bowl. And then, boom, the sucker punch comes in a way that none of us have ever seen. And all of a sudden it collapses. Uh, I did a story through their local uh, sports radio at 5.50 a.m. up there, uh, WGR, and uh, the morning show, Howard Simon and – and uh, uh, Jeremy White, and, you know, they got on at 6 in the morning. Um, you know, the game ends at 10. Guys had stayed up all night waiting for Sports Talk Radio to begin so they could start calling in and, and go through and try to begin the stages of grief, the denial, the anger, the venting, all this stuff. It was a crazy sports radio show on Monday morning in Buffalo, as you imagine. These guys were – they were the uh, – the mass grief counseling for, for Western New York. And so you just got to feel bad for these guys. And they got to hear everyone else go, that was one of the greatest games ever. Wasn't that exciting? Yeah, it wasn't exciting in Buffalo. 
Well, I, I, I agree with you. I, I, I don't think there's another fan base quite like that, and every fan base says that about their fan base, but I really believe there's not another fan base like the Mafia, and I know there's not another fan base that's gone through what they've gone through. Let me finally ask you this. Like, organizationally, it's one thing for the fans to have to endure and deal with this, but from an organizational standpoint, as an example, it seems like the Seahawks never really recovered from losing that Super Bowl to the Patriots in the final seconds. How do you expect the Bills to respond? On to this loss, I mean, how do you recover from something like that? It's 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 a huge thing. You can't just run it back. Um, and and you know they're probably going to have some changes on you know on the coaching staff just because people are getting jobs and things like that. But it is something that they need to absolutely address. Now, look, they have Josh Allen. They have a lot of good players, and you should be okay with that that will start with that you have josh allen i'm going to like your chances the next 10 years but it is a thing and you wonder about the doubt with coaches like all of it has to be addressed uh they'll probably never tell us all the truth but in that locker room because the players won't even know why didn't we squib kick shouldn't we squib kick why do we do this why why were we in that defensive formation why did we not cover Kravis kelsey on the final play like it was going to two guys how do we not guard Hill and how do we not guard Kelsey? What were we doing? And all of that has to absolutely be addressed or it takes on a life of its own. Football teams are big organizations. There's lots of players and it's because re- and everyone scatters. And uh, if, 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 if I'm Sean McDermott, I am trying to meet every single player directly individually and as a group and try to get over this as fast as possible because the longer it simmers, those losses are gut-wrenching and those players gave everything they had and it didn't happen and i'm not saying they'll 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 tune out the coach but maybe they tune out another player you just don't know that was a i i don't mean to overstate it but these words that was a trauma for an organization and you have to address that trauma well i think you're right i think it was traumatic for sure so really quickly like dan if if you're sean mcdermott if you had to guess does he pull everybody aside and say we will not let this define us or if you're a player are you looking for something more from him? Are you looking for the coach to say, we let you down, I let you down? Do they need to see ownership, if you had to guess, or does he just tell them, we're not going to let this define us, we will move on? I think this is where a coach is at is actually most valuable. Some guys will be like, fine, that's it, we're not going to get defined, and that's enough for them. Other guys are going to want to know why. Why did we make that decision? And maybe it's, look, I'm, and, and they're going to want that accountability of I made a mistake or I didn't communicate this or this player didn't listen or I don't know what happened, right? All we know is that 13 seconds they drove down the field and kicked the field goal. And, and, and the team was shell-shocked. I mean, once that, the defense had no chance on that final drive. They were absolutely shell-shocked. The way the, the, the Falcons were in that 28-3 game or, you know, again, the, the Seattle's never quite recovered. You need to find a way to, 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 to connect with every one of your players and everyone in your organization. It is a big challenge. It is a big challenge for Sean McDermott, but you have to do it. Some guys aren't really going to care. They're just going to be like, all right, moving on, next thing. Some guys are going to care deeply. I think shell-shocked is a perfect description for it, and there is an awesome responsibility ahead of them. He is a Yahoo Sports columnist. He is a New York Times bestselling author. If you haven't seen it already, he is the EP of Killer Inside, Aaron Hernandez, Netflix doc. Also the author of the Epic Athlete Series. On top of all of that, a co-host of the College Football Inquirer, Dan Wetzel, my guest. Dan, really appreciate it, as always. Thank you so much for doing it. Thanks, Rome. Always fun. Let's take a moment and talk about WinBet, the latest and greatest sports betting app on the market. The same five-star hotel service that you know and love is now in the digital betting space, providing an elite sports book and digital casino app. Whether you're betting on the NFL Conference Championships, Torrey Pines Golf Tourney, or both, because, well, why not? WinBet has you covered. Are you looking for other sports? WinBet has that too. It's all right there for you with your WinBet app. WinBet is also fully integrated with Win Rewards. That means by playing WinBet, you can accrue points to earn free credit in app and comp dollars towards perks at Win Resorts. 
discounted hotel stays, priority dining and entertainment, free merchandise. It really is the best loyalty program in the industry. Call it a win-win. Whether playing from your phone or your computer, you have absolutely got to sign up for WinBet ASAP. Bet with the best. Get into the game. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Ian Rappaport had it. Others too now. Sean Payton is stepping away from the New Orleans Saints. So a couple of snap reactions to that. Number one, absolute gut punch. A kick in the package for the Saints. I mean, that's gutting. They lose Drew Brees and Sean Payton in back-to-back years. I mean, can you imagine that for a franchise? Best quarterback you ever had, best coach you ever had, and you lose them back-to-back. Absolute gut punch to the Saints. And a bigger gut punch to Mike McCarthy. If I'm Mike McCarthy, uh, right about now, I'm starting to power up the old barn. I'm powering up the barn, getting the band back together, maybe dropping some space heaters in that barn right now, making sure everything is set up for it. You know, as far as Sean Payton, you could see where he might do something like that, right? We'll get into how challenging a year this was for him, but 15 years with the same team is an eternity in the NFL. 15 years. 15 years is an absolute meat grinder, no matter how good you are, no matter how good your team is, no matter how good your organization is, no matter how good the GM is, no matter how good the quarterback is, no matter how good the owner is. I mean, even if everything's right or mostly right, 15 years is a long time. Yet you didn't have that quarterback. They were without Drew Brees, and they had major roster changes. They had COVID issues. They had to evacuate to Dallas due to a hurricane. They had freaking Trevor Simeon at quarterback. Yeah, then there's that. I would imagine this guy probably needed some time to decompress and probably needed to rethink what he wanted to do. And it wasn't just Simeon. It was that revolving door quarterback. Due to injuries, he had Jameis Winston, Taysom Hill, Trevor Simeon, and Ian Book. They all started games. And yet somehow, Sean Payton had a winning record and nearly got them into the playoffs. So we're talking about a guy who's won a Super Bowl. He's had nine double-digit winning seasons. Nine double digits. And I'm going to argue that was still his best coaching job. Not only argue it, but I'm going to say not even close. That was a damn masterpiece to keep that thing together, given the hand that he was playing and given how close he got to getting them into the postseason. So, yeah, I would imagine not only the 15 years, but I would imagine what kind of a toll that 15th year took on him. You go through a year like that, and suddenly I would imagine – Hanging out in a TV studio, making good money, resting, recharging, resetting, maybe reinventing to a certain extent. I would imagine that sounds pretty damn good. You have a year like that, you probably do deserve to take some time off and reflect and think about things. So I'm not really surprised by it. Then the question becomes, does he take the year off? I don't really know, but I know this. I mean, maybe he's already made up his mind. Maybe he does take a year off. And, and I understand that. And then he comes back. Here are the options. He just goes someplace else. Or he takes a year off, and then he comes back. Or he's gone. He's done. He's good. You know, like Jimmy Johnson. Maybe you just decide, yeah, I'm good. I'm good at 57 or 58. And that life of showing up once a week and sitting in a studio and making network money and doing whatever I want on the side, pretty good life. Or you're Sean Payton, and you take a year off, and you wait for Jera. And you wait for Jera to give you a big, fat, blank check. To replace his current big, fat, overmatched head coach. I'll tell you what, if I'm Jerry Jones, no matter what, if he hasn't done so already, and probably has, 
I'm all over this guy. I'm all over this guy right now just to find out, hey, Sean, where are you at? Do you need a year off? Because if you need a year off, the job will still be here for you. However, we're ready right now. You need a couple of weeks off? You need a couple of weeks off. Here, take my jet. Here, find any island you want. Take a few weeks off. Unplug. Don't turn your phone on. Don't turn your lapper on. Man, let's do this thing right now. Let's do this thing right now. I need you. If I'm Jerry Jones, I'm going all in. You know, oh, mucky butt, be damned. You get a chance to get Sean Payton? Mucky butt. I'm trying right now, if I'm Jerry Jones, to convince him right now. If Sean Payton were to say, hey, Jerry, I appreciate that. There's nothing I'd rather do than have one of those famous sleepovers with you. But I'm fried, man. I am fried. I need some time. Great. Great. You let me know when you're ready. Next year, the job will still be here. But if I'm Jerry, I'm doing everything I can to get this guy right now. And the one thing about Jerry, I said this last week, and it's true. There's a lot of things you can say about Jerry Jones, and most of them are true. Hell of a salesman. One of the best salesmen ever. And if I'm Jerry, I'm pulling out every stop imaginable to try to get Sean Payton right now. Because as coaching free agents go, they don't get much better than that. And then where does that leave the Saints? Like I just mentioned, the Saints have lost Drew Brees and Sean Payton back-to-back. Gut punch. I mean, has Dennis Allen done enough there to get that gig? Good coach. Former head coach. He's done a good job with that defense, maybe. But the biggest no-brainer ever, right, is Sean Payton going to Dallas. I mean, almost as much of a no-brainer as him taking time off and coming back to the Saints. In fact, I'd say more of a no-brainer. Remember when Jerry Jones told the world he left 20% of him on Bourbon Street? Remember this? 20% of me has been left on Bourbon Street. (laughs) You remember that? Jerry Jones said, quote, 20% of me has been left on Bourbon Street. 20% of me has been left on Bourbon Street. (laughs) Sean Payton could return to Dallas as the conquering hero With that 20% or what used to be Jerry's face in his hands. 20% of me has been left on bourbon strike. (laughs) I'm telling you, what a year that must have been for Sean Payton. I don't care how gifted he is as an offensive guru. Watching all of those QBs that he had to deal with this year probably aged him in dog years. Joe Burrow thought that Ian Book was getting sacked way too much in that Dolphin blowout. I'm telling you, in this time of uncertainty, Sean probably needed to speak with somebody. I mean, you guys have been leading for so long from the front, but I say this all the time. Even the greatest leaders ever need somebody to lean on themselves sometimes. And if you're Sean Payton and you've gone through what he went through over the last 15 years, and especially the last year, I wonder who he leans on. Who does he go to talk to if he needs guidance, if he needs leadership, if he has to make a really tough decision? I don't know. Maybe that dude who dropped all that unforgettable wisdom on Jameis Winston. Well, I just think we were prepared. You know, one thing my, uh, my trainer, he told me, he said, what did he say? He just told us to be prepared. I will never, ever, ever forget what my trainer told me. Wait, I forgot. What did my trainer tell me? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He told me to be prepared. Well, I just think we were prepared. You know, one thing my, uh, my trainer, he told me, he said, what did he say? He just told us to be prepared. <laughs> Jameis is the best. <laughs> you know what the most important thing to know about being prepared is? Wait, I don't know. Oh, yeah, 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 I do. The most important thing about being prepared is to be prepared. Well, I just think we were prepared. You know, one thing my, uh, my trainer, he told me, he said... What did he say? He just told us to be prepared. Sean, why would you leave that? Why why would you leave that? What are you going to get that's better than that? Preparation breeds confidence, okay? So how do you get prepared? How do you prepare? What is the process for preparing? Oh, that's easy. Wait, what? I forgot. 
Oh, no, 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 I got it, I got it. The best way to be prepared is to be prepared. Well, I just think we were prepared. You know, one thing my, uh, my trainer, he told me, he said, what did he say? He just told us to be prepared. You want to know what that situation was like? That right there was his best option. That right there was his first choice. I mean, what's that say about Taysom? Yeah, I, come to, the more I think about this, the more I see why maybe Sean's ready for the next thing. Whether the next thing is sitting in the studio, probably of his choice. Or getting right back into it. I actually was going to give you my thoughts on this. And part of my thoughts were going to be based on the owner, Gail Benson. Prior to this story dropping and it becoming official, she was asked about Sean Payton because he had kind of gone dark. He had kind of ghosted her even. And she was asked, what are your thoughts on this? What does that mean? And is he going to return? No, Sean, we don't know. You know, who knows? (laughs) We'll find out soon enough, I guess. (laughs) I don't think any of us know. But he'll let us know soon enough. Now you know. That was an amazing response. That was either... Listen how funny she is. I mean, she's laughing. She's laughing. I don't think... First of all, what I would have said to you was, I don't think that if I were a Saints fan, I'd be laughing knowing that Sean Payton might bounce. She kind of got a kick out of that. That was either the most confident response ever or the least confident response ever, or she was quite all right with him bouncing. But listen to that response to the question, what is your coach going to do? No, Sean, we don't know. You know, who knows? (laughs) We'll find out soon enough, I guess. I don't think any of us know. But he'll let us know soon enough. Oh, now we all know. I wonder if it's still funny. (laughs) Hey, Gail, what's the latest with Zion? (laughs) I don't know. That's not very funny to me if I'm a Saints fan. (laughs) Take it easy, Alvin. I don't... I don't want to go too hard on that. I, I just don't think that's too amusing. <laughs> Not if I'm a Saints fan. Now you've lost Drew Brees and Sean Payton back-to-back. Now what? Now what? Now where do you go? Now where do you go? I mean, this guy really was the face of that franchise. He was the face of that franchise. And the thing was, he was actually back at the facility yesterday. And I was going to say, that's actually pretty good news. If he's at the facility, unless he's boxing stuff up, That's pretty good news. And I was also going to make the point that I don't think that's going to last very long. I don't think that's going to linger. But I didn't know it would be resolved that quickly. I don't know how hard they tried to keep him. I don't know if maybe there was nothing they could have said. But if I were the Saints, and if I'm a Saints fan, I hope that they went to him and said, hey, what do you need, coach? What do you need? Anything at all. Here is a blank check. What do you need? And then I would have said, not only can you fill in the amount, you have our word, we will do everything in our power to get Aaron Rodgers. Maybe they did all those things. I'm not saying they didn't, and it didn't work. Maybe he's just done. And then now we wait. Where do you go now? I know this. If I'm Jerry Jones, I'm giving this guy two blank checks. Whatever you want. Saints fans, now I'm looking for you. What is your reaction to that? That is a gut punch. Gut punch. Mike Triplett is wired. He's a Saints reporter for ESPN. He tweets, Peyton is not necessarily permanently retiring, but deciding to take a break after 16 years as Saints coach. No word yet on immediate plans. Those sources have told ESPN that TV networks are interested. Peyton is under contract through 2024, so another team would have to trade for him. Hmm. All right, so compensation would be involved. You know what? Like any great player or difference maker, you make the trade. And you give up what you can. Because that guy is somebody who can impact the entire culture of an organization. In the meantime, TV networks are very interested in him. I sat with him one day on the NFL Today on CBS. CBS had him in. And we sat in the green room. Good dude. Really, really good dude. 
and good dude to everybody. And not one of those guys that was not approachable. Like, he was really a good, good dude. So what I'm saying is he will translate on TV very, very well. Very likable, very accessible, very conversational. You've seen him even on Twitter have a little bit of fun. So if that, if he's got that stopgap year, that bridge year, he'd do really well on TV. He's not going to be one of those guys who's going to show up and just say a bunch of bull crap to say bull crap or not be prepared and just yell. So he'll have a lot of interest. I personally think he's not done coaching. My personal opinion. But I could see where he would take a year off. Dear Sean Payton. No! 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 Regards, Saints fans. I guess that answers my question. That's Eric from the Big Easy trying not to jump. I think that's an appropriate response. Honestly. Hey, Jim, is a lifelong Saints fan. I am unpacking my vintage Saints gear, a.k.a. my paper bags from 17 years ago. Here we go again. Mike and La Quinta. Man, I hope not. I remember those days. Nunzio. I'm safe, Jim. Last time I checked, Sean Payton and Jera have never exchanged pajamas after a night of popcorn and binge-watching at the Home Alone series. Signed, Jarrah's best bud, Mike McNugget. Yeah, right now he is. Let me tell you, man, he'd spin him in a second. He'd spin McNugget in a second. He's always longed for Sean Payton. Sean Payton has got cowboys in his blood. He'd spin McNugget in a second. And he should. I'm not looking to get anybody fired. This is a cutthroat business. If you can do better, you should. And at Wooden Laconic jumping in. Tired as always. Wooden as always. Rome is threatening to bust out a turtleneck, but in actuality is setting us up for an all-turtleneck week for Radio Row. No, I'm not. Two reasons why. One, I don't have that many Teen-X. And two, I care how I look. Like, it's, it's one of those looks you pull off. You got to be strategic about how you break out the turtleneck. Breaking out every single day is not strategic. And I don't need to. You know, that Minnesota thing was one reason. It was Minnesota. It was cold. LA is not like that. I mean, in terms of the Cowboys, is there anybody anywhere that would have anything to say if he blew out Mike McCarthy to hire Sean Payton. Anybody, anywhere, never mind at the ranch. Anybody in any conference room having anything to do with football on any level, anywhere, would anybody raise an eyebrow if Jerry Jones were to break off McNugget and bring in Sean Payton? Of course not. I mean, they all bust out laughing. It'd be the funniest thing ever. No, no, that's not fair to McNugget. Talking to Ryan Alford, your journey, your background in a moment, but in 24 hours, you are going to make your PGA Tour debut at Torrey Pines. I'm curious, what kind of emotions are you feeling right about now, and what do you think it's going to feel like when you hit that first tee? Um, for me, man, it's a dream come true, man. Uh, as a kid, I always dreamed of playing on the PGA Tour, and for me, it's, it's so real, um, Tomorrow morning, I'll be teeing it up my first PGA Tour event, and I'm excited, grateful, and very thankful. Ryan Alfred is joining us, so people can really appreciate this journey. Why don't we go back? You were growing up in Shreveport, Louisiana. The story goes that your older brother, Raymond, was getting into golf, and you got interested as well. What was it about golf that first got you hooked? Um, you know, growing up, my dad was a collegiate basketball player, um, so I, he taught us a game of basketball at a young age. But golf, man, uh, it kind of growed on me. Uh, team sports, you know. You have other people to blame, but in golf, man, it's just yourself. You don't have anybody to point the finger at. It's just you and the golf ball. Talking to Ryan Alford, there is something to that, right? Now, you mentioned your dad, and you've credited him with making you the man you are both on the course and off it. What else did you learn from him growing up? Um, just how to carry myself, man. Uh, how, to be, how to be a good citizen in, in the world. I mean, I was involved in the Boy Scouts, um, first team program. I mean, he introduced me to everything, man. I had... Um, I wouldn't say a silver spoon, but my dad definitely, uh, he definitely cared about my upbringing. You know, Ryan, what's interesting is you told Golf Digest that there are folks telling you that golf is, quote, an old man's sport, a white man's sport, end of quote. 
What was your reaction when you would hear that? Um, I mean, at the time, I mean, that was, that's what you saw, I mean. And that's, that's kind of the reason that the APJ Tour is um, growing so big right now for the diversity in the game of golf, trying to make it look like the world in these days. Ryan Alfred's joining us. Big debut coming up. Also, growing up in Shreveport, you were friends with Sam Burns, of course, who ended up last year as number 11 in the world golf rankings. I'm curious, what was it like to grow up with him and play with him at Calvary Baptist Academy when that school was stacking state championships? It was great. Um, actually, so I grew up with Sam. Uh, we grew up in the same town. Same town, I'm sorry. Um, so I've been knowing Sam since I was probably five or six years old. Uh, we played in a little front nine tour, a nine-hole uh, nine tournament each every Monday. Um, yeah, man, we just kind of grew the relationship from there. Uh, went to high school together. Um, won five state championships together. And, and still to this day, we still practice together um, in Ruston, Louisiana, at Squire Creek. Ryan Alfred's my guest. The thing is, Ryan, you, you mentioned that front nine tour. Sam says that when you were growing up, you used to beat him quite a bit on that front nine tour, and he wanted to get to know you because he wanted to see why you were beating him all the time. Is that how that went? What do you remember about those days? Oh, man, it was a it was a battle. I mean, it was just more than me and Sam out there. We had uh, we had a lot of other players in Shreveport that were, that were studs. Uh, Nathan Jansson, he went to LSU with Sam as well. Eric Ricard, he was from Shreveport. He went to LSU as well. Um, but, yeah, like I said, we had a lot of studs in Shreveport, uh, Shreveport, Bozier, Louisiana. Now, you're right. It was a hotbed, to be sure. Ryan Alfred joining us. And then on top of that, along the way, you played with guys like Hal Sutton and David Toms. What was that like, and what did you take away from your time with them? Um, yeah, um, so I was a little bit closer to, to Hal, but I also knew David as well. But uh, watching those guys, man, watching them prepare, watching them grind, and uh, watching them day, day to day, I mean, kind of motivated me more to, to be more interested in the game of golf and to get better each and every day. See, Ron, the thing is, like, people are going to get a chance to see you this week, and I'm talking to you right now, and it seems very matter-of-fact, like, you're really comfortable. Just about everybody who plays college golf and wants to play professionally, the early years are a grind and they're a battle. What was it like for you, and how did you go about approaching that grind? Man, I've always been told, like, by many many of people, not just one, that golf is a process, man. It doesn't it doesn't happen overnight. I mean, you got to put the time in. You got to definitely dig it out of the dirt. So, I mean, I kind of live by that motto and spend most of my hours at the golf course. I like that line. You got to dig it out of the dirt. Ryan Alfred joining us. So last year, you won your first APGA Tour event at TPC Scottsdale. After everything you had been working through, after pulling yourself out of the dirt, after all that grind, what did it mean to get that first win? And what did that feel like? all that hard work in it definitely was a dream come true um to see my hard work come out um on top and then the next week actually finished well and won again so at Valhalla so that was definitely definitely a dream come true and I was proud of my success I was going to ask you about Valhalla because then you chased that with a win at Valhalla meanwhile Sam was winning on the PGA Tour what was that run like last year for both of you given where you both started to see you guys having that success together what was that like yeah, so we had a little ongoing, ongoing little sand on. So I won, and he actually won. He finished second the next week. Um, I, I believe that was the Nelson, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. He actually should have won that one, but he finished second at the Nelson. And my next event was at Valhalla, Valhalla, and I actually won. And then he um, he came back and he topped me again. He won at Sanderson. So I mean, the kid, the kid's game is unbelievable. He's an unbelievable guy on and off the golf course, first and foremost. Um, but we, we, definitely, uh, we definitely had a lot of talks about it. Ryan Alfred joining me for a few more moments. Big day coming up this week. So I spoke to Kamaya Johnson last February, and he was supposed to make his PGA Tour debut at Torrey Pines last year, but it had to be delayed until Pebble Beach. He's going to be playing at Torrey this week and has talked about what it means to him that you're going to be there as well. So what does it mean to you to be making your PGA Tour debut tomorrow if you had to sum it all up? Um, for me to be able to showcase my talents, uh, play with the world's best, I mean, it means everything to me, man. Like I said, it's a dream come true, and for me to have Kamayu here with me um, make it, makes it a little more comfortable and makes the experience a little bit more better. Steve in New Jersey, good to have you, Steve. How are you? Mr. Rome, thank you for taking my call. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, I just want to tell you that the New York football giants have gone through three head coaches in – uh, six years, somewhere like that. The numbers are close. I think Sean Payton, who's got a love and a tie somewhere along the line, and he was the offensive coordinator for the New York football giants, and he's very, very tight with uh, Tuna. 
Tuna is tight still with the Giants, I think that Peyton may become the new head coach of the Giants. Let's go to the east side. Ed, it's good to have you. Ed, how are you? You know, Jim, I'm so upset right now. I can't even see straight, man. I feel like that four-year-old on the playground. I can't stop crying, and he just goes, huh, 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 huh. I just want to talk about Sean Payton. I mean, I may have been born at Southern Baptist in 1973, but we're out here in California now. You know what I mean? And our family bleeds black and gold. I want to talk about a guy that wasted the top five quarterback in Drew Brees. A guy that couldn't win with Cam Jordan, Alvin Kamara, Mike Thomas, Marshawn Lattimore. And we have the salary cap issues of a team that just won the Super Bowl. Worst part, this dude can't beat the Vikings, Jim. Dude can't beat the Vikings. So 2003 just emailed your Earthlink account there, Sean Payton. And they want you to know that screen passes don't work on third and 18. Because they didn't work on first and 10. And they sure as heck didn't work on second and 14. All right, let me jump in, at only because I have a guest ready, but that's a guy saying, hey, man, I'm bummed, all right. I'm pissed that this guy didn't do more with what he had. Daniel, Jeremiah, DJ, what's going on? How are you? I'm doing great, Jim. What's the word, man? Well, you tell me. Lots of things to talk about. I appreciate you coming on first and foremost. That's the thing. Listen, before we get to this weekend's games and what just took place, what about the word that broke about an hour ago, Sean Payton stepping away from the Saints? What's your immediate reaction to that, and what do you personally think led to that decision? Well, I think it's probably just a smart kind of reset for him. You know, you kind of look at where that franchise is right now. I mean, it's well documented with the salary cap situation, uncertainty at quarterback. Um, you know, it gives him a chance to, to get a, catch a breath a little bit. Um, and then, you know, we have, what, I think nine openings right now, Jim? I mean, there's every year I feel like we've got six, seven, eight, nine coaching openings. So he can go do TV for a year. Maybe he goes and joins Al Michaels and does Amazon Thursday nights. Who knows, you know, what he's going to do there. But just kind of recharge your batteries. And then next year at this time, he can kind of survey the landscape and, and kind of pick one of those jobs. I know – you know, you watch those games over the weekend, Jim, and you see some of these young cyborgs we have at quarterback, and you go, man, I, I kind of would like to coach one of those guys, you know. So so maybe just kind of sit back and, and try and identify the best quarterback situation where he can jump into a year from now. Interesting. Daniel Jeremiah joining us. Daniel, would you consider Dak Prescott one of those young cyborgs? I think he's, I think he's uh, just outside cyborg status, but I think he's uh, when he's healthy, he can compete with those guys, you know. I, I don't think we saw the best version of Dak, especially kind of down the stretch after he had that calf injury. Um, but he's somebody that can, you know, can do a lot of the things that we saw done uh, over the weekend. I mean, the, the crazy thing about uh, you think about how great Aaron Rodgers is, right? The guy's going to be the MVP back to back. But as great as Aaron Rodgers is, he doesn't have the club in his bag that Mahomes and Josh Allen have. Those guys rush for you know nearly seventy yards apiece in that game to lead their team. So. You know, Dak Prescott, when he's healthy, he can run around, you know, with what he can do throwing the football. He gives you some of that as well. Daniel Jeremiah joining us. All right, so what about Joe Burrow, for instance? I mean, there's so much to like about this guy. So much to like about this guy. He doesn't necessarily have that club in his bag per se. He's not necessarily in their class yet, but do you suspect he will be sooner than later? Yeah, he's an assassin. Like, he's just a, he's a cold-blooded killer. Um, I, I don't know that I've ever seen a quarterback enter the NFL with his confidence. Um, he's pinpoint accurate, and he is he is a great athlete. I mean, those other guys are just kind of freaks, and they choose to use it a little bit more. Um, but Joe is a really good athlete. I'd kind of put him in that Dak Prescott, you know, group. He's coming off that, you know, knee injury, so you don't see him use it quite as much. But, man, that, that dude can extend plays. He can create. And I don't know that there's a tougher dude at the position in the league. I remember his rookie year. They played the Eagles, Jim. I got a call from a buddy on their staff. And he's like, look, we, we won this game, but just go back and you can sort it through all the cut-ups now that you have that capability with the technology. He goes, just go sort and watch the hits that we put on Joe Burrow. And he goes, the guy just kept – it was like Rocky, right? He just kept coming. Like, he never stopped. And they knocked the stuffing out of him in that game. And the guy was like, dude – I'm telling you, it's not going to take long. This guy is different. Like, he is a 
He's a he's just a complete stud, man. Like he has the respect of everybody in the league. Yeah, and by the way, we saw it again this past weekend, right? He got the hell beat out of him again <laughs> this weekend and just kept coming. I mean, can you even quantify that, DJ? Like, how is it that this guy he doesn't rattle, he doesn't blink, he does not back down? And not only that, but and you and I talked about this before he came into the NFL. You actually made a comparison to Tom Brady, which is always going to be dangerous, and now it doesn't look yeah. so dangerous at all. How do you explain him having this much confidence? confidence and kind of a benign arrogance at such a young age well I think he's I think it's a combination of things Jim I think he knows who he is and what he is and has complete confidence in in his abilities I think he knows what he's doing and what their scheme looks like uh, you know extremely well and I think being the son of a coach I think he understands for a young quarterback as, as well as anybody we've seen enter the league what you're doing on the other side you know, so many of these guys, they enter the league at the quarterback position, and it takes them a year, two years, to kind of just get comfortable with who they are and what they're running. And then it's like, oh, yeah, year three, okay, what is the defense actually doing here? Like, he's just so far advanced. And I know he's a little bit older coming into the league and you know, had the full college experience. Um, but, you know, there's a reason why when you're scouting players and you see the kid's the son of a coach, like, that, that, that matters a little bit. You know, this kid, when – when I was growing up, you know, my dad was a pastor, so we might be talking about what the uh, Wednesday night Bible study was like over, over lunch and over dinner with the family. This kid was talking about, you know, cover two and cover three with his dad when he was growing up. Mm. Daniel Jeremiah joining us. All right, so when you see, DJ, what Jamar Chase did to Kansas City in their last meeting, and then when you see what Gabriel Davis did to Kansas City just recently, how do you see the matchup of the Bengals offense going up against the KC defense this time? I think this game's really simple, Jim. I, I really do. I think if I think Kansas City's going to score, we know that they're going to put up a bunch of points. The whole game comes down to whether or not the Bengals can protect. If he gets sacked nine times like he did last week, it's not. I mean, it's over. They're going to lose the game. If they can just hold up and give him a little bit of time, and when we saw in that in that first matchup, um, they can't cover these Bengals receivers, and not many people can. Uh, but Kansas City, you know, especially, they are not great in the back end, and Joe Burrow will carve them up. But they got to find a way to block Chris Jones. Like, that's going to be a uh, it's going to be a major challenge. And I think, you know, Kansas City being at home, I think that helps the pass rush a little bit too. It's just, just a little bit. You get off the ball a little bit slower uh, when you're an offensive line playing in that environment. So um, that's the game. If they block them, they'll be in it. You know, and if they if they don't block him, I think the Chiefs run away with it. That makes sense. Daniel Jeremiah joining me for a few more moments. DJ, when you look at the 49ers and the Rams matchup on Sunday, how do you explain? I mean, Kyle Shanahan is a great, great coach, but Sean McVay is a real good coach. How do you explain Shanahan's yeah. total domination of the rivalry, and what can McVay do to reverse it right now? I think it's. I think that one is just a classic. It's really simplistic, Jim, but I think it's just they – they believe it in San Francisco that, that we're just tougher than these guys. You know what? We're just, we're just more physical. We're tougher. They're more of a finesse team. We're a physical team. And we're going to turn the game of, you know, it might be a little bit of finesse here and there, but eventually we're going to turn this into kind of a street fight and a physical contest. And, and they won't be able to match our physicality. I think that's kind of been their mindset and how they've kind of handled that opponent. I, you know, I, I think more so that than any type of an X's and O's or familiarity between the two head coaches. I just think they feel like they're kind of the bully um, within those two teams. And I, I think when you look at this matchup, I, I'm curious to see the health of the 49ers. I know it's a Debo will be back at practice, and hopefully he's going to be okay. But Trent Williams, that's huge, man. They, they've they've got to have him healthy uh, in that one. But I, I'm looking forward to it. It's, they say it's right. It's hard to beat a team, you know, a couple times in a row. And, and then you look at what they've done. It's beyond a couple times now. So, um, it's going to be a fascinating matchup. Yeah, I would say ordinarily there's no way you beat a team as good as the Rams three times in one year, but they could. They could beat them six times. <laughs> you know, DJ, one thing about that finesse versus kind of toughness angle, does Von Miller change that dynamic at all? Like when they acquired him, you were making the point that people should not worry about what this guy does in the regular season. It's all about the postseason. So does that change that toughness dynamic, and what do you make of how he impacted the game Sunday? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was just such a great move by the Rams. He, he just – you know, I thought he was going to kind of save some bullets. He played well in the regular season, but I thought he really saved up and, and has his energy and he's ready to roll to rush the passer uh, right now. I, I'm from a toughest toughness standpoint. I don't know if that's really the edge so much as it is if they can get a lead with their offense. He kind of gives them that co-closer uh, with with Aaron Donald to be able to finish games. He should have finished the last one. 
he had the sack and the forced fumble that should have finished the Bucks off, and then, and then uh, the Rams turned around and turned it right back over. Um, so to me, I, I think Vaughn is kind of uh, his value and, and what he's going to bring to this team. Maybe not so much the physicality, Jim, it's just being able to finish the game. Daniel, do you have you changed the way you see Matt Stafford in any way? I mean, you've got this great body of work. You've seen this guy's entire career. Has he done anything in recent weeks that changed your view of him in, in any way at all? Um, I, you know what? I think just maybe just gives you more confidence in him. You know, it, the guy was the first overall pick. I remember going and watching him play in college at LSU, uh, scouting that team. I think it was him and AJ Green and No. Sean Marino. I think were on that team, and it was. I left the stadium and okay, this guy's got some. He's got some freaky, you know, arm talent, wherever you want to call it. I mean, this guy can spin it. He is gifted. I don't think that's ever been a question. Um, you know, and I think some of this is just kind of, you know, he hasn't done this or that in the playoffs. So I guess he's put that to bed. But I think most people inside the league have always known this guy's like he's like one of the five or six best throwers of the football that we have in this league, and it's been that way for a while. So at this point in his career, how do you evaluate Jimmy G? I mean, do you trust Stafford a lot more than Jimmy G, a little bit more? How would you evaluate Jimmy G right now? And I know he's not physically 100%. Yeah. Yeah, no, look, I give Jimmy G a lot of credit for the toughness and, and working through the injuries that he's had. But, I mean, there's a there's a big difference between him and the other three quarterbacks in the tournament at this point in time. I, you know, I was talking with Bucky the other day, and we're saying, look, you look around the landscape right now, it's, it's pretty clear. you got to have an elite young quarterback uh, to feel good about your chances moving forward, or you have to have Kyle Shanahan calling plays with five you know, Hall of Famers on your roster. Um, those are kind of the two ways to, uh, to get where you want to go. Uh, but, you know, this team doesn't run through the quarterback. Um, it, it really doesn't. It's about their defensive front. It's about them, you know, beating people up and, and using uh, Debo and Kittle and whatever way possible. It's just, uh, you know, it's not a quarterback-driven team, which is the only one of the four left that we could say that about. It's a great point. One last thought. You mentioned Bucky. You and Bucky had a really interesting conversation, I thought, DJ, with former Vikings GM Rick Spielman on your podcast. What jumped out to you in terms of what he was saying about how he evaluated draft prospects? Well, I think it was a couple things, Jim. It was, uh, you know, he talked about maturity at the wide receiver position being key. I mean, they've, he's done a great job of evaluating and, and picking wideouts. You think about just the trade, right? He, he drafted Diggs, and they turned around and traded Diggs and brought in Justin Jefferson. They go find Thielen. Um, he did a really nice job at that position. He talks about maturity being uh, an important quality at that position. You kind of look around, and I've got to know all these guys come out through the draft process, um, and you see guys like Debo Samuel, who's a grown man, Cooper Cup. Um, I mean, these guys are just studs. They're, they're tough, they're physical, and they're mature. Um, and maybe those aren't the words that immediately come to mind when you think of great wide receivers, but that's where we are right now. He is an NFL Network analyst. He is host of the Move the Sticks podcast along with Bucky Brooks. Great, great listen. You can follow him on Twitter at Move the Sticks. He is part of Amazon's Scouts Feed broadcast. Very, very good friend of the program. DJ, much respect, much appreciation. You're the very best, man. Great talking to you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you, Jimmy. And I'm the only one that's rooting for this baseball lockout to last into the season because my Padres are much better in like a 60-game sample size. So oh, man. I'm, I'm fine on that front. That's why you're the best. Great take, by the way. I love it. I love that. Daniel Jeremiah closing the show. Good night now.